Hello and thank you for joining us for our Pulse and Foursquare podcast. My name is Pastor Greg Perkins and I appreciate you tuning us in today. That God may speak to you through his word and the Holy Spirit may minister to you through the messages that are brought forth. That you'll be blessed and we pray that you will continue to listen to our podcast and we pray that you would have a blessed day. God bless you all. all your faces this morning um, that was that was a powerful time of worship I mean just the, the presence of the Lord um, and just in, it was this, that in itself was encouraging that let his kingdom come and his will be done here on earth uh, whatever we uh, bind on earth will be bound in heaven whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven and there is power in the name of Jesus and what does that mean for his kingdom come and his will be done in my life? Because I, I'm taking that personally. I'm just saying, Lord, rule and reign in me. Yes. Yes, Lord. You are my king. You are my Lord. No political figure is my Lord. He never will be. She or never will be. But you will always reign supreme in my life. And we need to remember that wholeheartedly. This year, as I mentioned uh, last week, and some of you may have been uh, following along in our videos uh, on Sunday morning, I'm, I'm grateful for Billy and, and some others that are helping uh, put that together for Sunday mornings. If you're never here, we have it online. Um, we're not doing live stream right now. We're doing pre-recorded. Um, but we didn't have one for last week. We just had an audio. If you want to ever um, check that out on our website or our Facebook page, Pulsing Foursquare Church, or PulsingFoursquare.org is our website. Um, I really felt like the Lord said to me, you know, some months ago, and by the way, I'm so grateful Peggy was okay in a car crash the other day. Um, I'm so happy that you're okay. The, the truck did not fare so well with the snowplow, but uh, we are very thankful you're okay, Peggy. Um, that, just another little thing, if you see those cards in the back of your your seats that say information cards, uh, connect cards. I don't remember what they're called. Are they called connect cards? Um, but they uh, have information. If you have prayer requests or we don't have your email and you want to be a part of our prayer chain, we, uh, I get emails from you, text messages, and I try to send those off. If you have a need that, that comes up, say, please be praying. That's a way that I can send out prayer requests to a prayer chain via email. And some people do text messages as well. Um, I felt like the Lord saying that this year, 2021, was a year that we need to prepare the way for the Lord. What does that look like? Preparing the way of the Lord. Uh, have your way in me. It kind of said, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's very appropriate. Lord, have your way in me. Jesus is the way. There's not many ways to God. There's only one way. Jesus said, I am that way. Have your way in me. And I want to continue that. Uh, I started in Mark chapter 1 last week, and uh, as we know, the one who said that was the one that was preparing the way for the Lord, John the Baptist. John the Baptist had come, and he had said, I'm preparing the way for the Lord. And, and we talked about, you talked about the greatest. Uh, the greatest, and Jesus identified John the Baptist as the greatest. Why? Why was he great? Why did he recognize? Because he would, nothing about himself, but only about the one that was to come. I baptize with water, but you are coming to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I love that. You know, your shirt, maybe we need to make copies of that. Um, he comes to baptize with um, the Holy Spirit and with fire. And uh, we've, there's a lot of references in the Bible about fire. What does fire mean? Uh, fire is symbolic always of the Holy Spirit, but fire is also talks about purging, uh, cleansing, uh, the, the refiner's fire in us. Maybe there's some things we need to be uh, refined, Lord, so that you can be seen instead of us. Who's the greatest? The one that says it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And we need to remember that. But I want to continue on with this uh, today in Mark chapter 1. Just uh, following, immediately after Jesus was baptized, it says the Holy Spirit, like a dove, came upon Jesus, descended on him, and it says 
the heavens were torn open. I mean, I would have loved to have been there that day to see what that would have looked like. The heavens were open, and this voice from heaven, the Father God, spoke over him and said, This is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. And right after that, he says he came out of the water. And where did he go right after his baptism? He went into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days. And Satan came and, and actually tempted him uh, in person. Satan showed up and he was tempting him. And uh, he came against Satan with the word of God. Every time Satan tried to come against him with lies, he said, no, it is written. It is written. And all the more important, because we are surrounded constantly by liars and the liar, the deceiver, the father of lies, more we need to be surrounded with the, the word of truth, God's truth. And we need to be in the word because Jesus overcame the enemy's lies with the word of God. And that's what we need to remember. So we're going to look in the word of God again today, Mark chapter 1. And I'm just going to be spending some time in Mark over the next while, uh, going through Mark, because I really believe God is saying, I'm preparing the way, and what does that look like for me? Preparing the way for many things, preparing the way for the Holy Spirit, preparing the way for me to be uh, a witness for you, preparing the way for your coming. I mean, how many of you are thinking that Jesus is coming back? How many believe that? I certainly do. So Mark chapter 1 I'm just going to tag on to the last part where it says that in verse 12 and read there through uh, verse 20. Verse 12, it says, At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Isn't that cool? I don't know the wild animal part or the angels, but... <laughs> but it says in verse 14, after John was in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. This is Jesus saying, the time is now. It is near. Repent and believe. Jesus walked behind, beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net in the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me. Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Now once they left their nets and they followed him. And when they had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Lord God, I ask you to speak by your Holy Spirit through your word to each of our hearts, how we may apply your word to our lives today. And Lord, I just echo that song. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in my life. Will you rule and reign in us today? Will you have your way? I want to prepare the way for what you want to do in my life and through my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Satan did not win in Jesus' life. He did not believe the lies. And it's so easy just to hear so much. Confusion. God has not a con got a confusion. I can assure you of that. But sometimes we're so confused. We're so inundated with so much. And it just we're depressed. We're, we're confused. We're angry. We're, we're so much. And I, I say, I got to spend time in your word. I got to spend time with you. I need to hear your voice speaking to me. And that's one thing I want to point out in this first part, that Jesus did not listen to the liar. Satan did not win. He lost, and, and Jesus never gave in to that. He never sinned. He never sinned, and it's important to understand that. Jesus, have, Jesus never lost his uh, knowing who he was. He never had his identity stolen by Satan. Have you ever had your identity stolen, credit cards, uh, things like that. You've had things taken from you and just like, this wasn't me, I promise. Or you had to go through the process of getting new licenses. Maybe you, maybe you had something stolen. It's a pain, isn't it? It's hard to prove yourself who you really are at times. Jesus never lost his identity. 
And so many times we see what is our identity, and we often base our identity off of our jobs. You know, this is what I do for a living. You know, uh, what do you do? Well, I'm, a, I'm this. No, 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 not that. I'm talking about what is your identity? Who are you? Have you ever asked a question like that, or have anyone ever asked that question of you? And you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, he's saying, who does God say that you are? Have you ever had a, a God speak to you and speak his, his, his identity into your life? Like, like the voice from heaven spoke over Jesus that day. You are my son. You are my daughter whom I love, whom I'm well pleased. God wants us to know that love, that, that love of the Father speaking blessing over us, speaking identity, speaking uh, this calling over our lives. Well, Jesus never had orphan thinking. He never had orphan heart because he always had this relationship with the Father. And this is why he came, so that he may give us the same thing. And he was created um, for all, us all to have intimacy with God the Father. That's why he came. Yes, he came to save us from our sins, but to save us from our sins so that we can have place with the Father. Now, um, it says in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh, Jesus, the Word, the Logos, became flesh, and He made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, and the glory of the one and only, the one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, so, Jesus came from the Father's heart. He came from the bosom of the Father. Um, the Father and Him are one. And the heart of the Father is where He is, he is uh, wanting us all to return. I don't know if I'm making sense in that, but that's, that is our home. He says, I want to have a place in the Father's heart so that you stop living like orphans, so you stop living in an orphan thinking that you don't think that you ever have a place, you ever have an identity. You do have an identity. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 14, I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. And he knew he would return to that place where he came from, and he wants us all to be there with him. He is preparing a place for us. More than just a mansion or a room in heaven, it's a place in the Father's heart. Does that make sense? A place in the Father's heart is what heaven is, is what eternal life is. It's a place in the Father's heart. Not just gold streets. I mean, that's going to be extra. The, the, you know, it, I mean, sometimes you go, well, I like the King James Version because it says I'm going to get a mansion. You know, in other translations, it says I'm going to get a room. <laughs> so pick your translation. It doesn't matter. But it really means in the Father's heart. That's really what the... The definition is, furthermore, Jesus never began his ministry without knowing his identity in the Father's heart and being then empowered with the Holy Spirit in exactly what he wants for all of us. No one should ever do anything for God without knowing who they are in Christ first. But sometimes we get that backwards. Do, 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 and then... You, you know, it's a bunch of doo-doo is what it is. <laughs> it, uh, I have other ways of saying that too, but I won't say it. But, you know, it, it is. It's just that's not what God designed us to have. He wants us to know who we are. And then out of that place in the Father's heart, then we go, I love to live for the Lord. I love to serve the Lord. Otherwise, we get caught up in this religion and doing things. Then as we read, right after preceding his fast, Jesus then began his ministry. And this is where he started calling people to follow him. And it's the exact same thing today that he's still calling people to follow him. That's really the title of my message is following Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Jesus calls his first followers in this as we read. It says, Simon, later known as Simon Peter, um, Andrew, James, and John. And these ones, it's uh, interesting, is that 
Uh, Andrew, James, and John were the closest ones that he had relationship with. They were the, you know, not much is known about Andrew except that um, he was one of the followers and he went and found his brother Peter. But the, they were all fishermen. We do know that much. They were all fishermen. They were running their own business and it was actually a successful business. Um, these were hardworking, successful businessmen, if you will. And it's important to note they were ordinary guys. They were just the average Joe, you said. <laughs> the average Joe. They were average Joes, not particularly religious. Uh, they were, certainly weren't rich, powerful, or well-connected, or highly educated. They were ordinary guys who followed Jesus and ended up changing the world. And Jesus loves to do extraordinary things through ordinary people, right? One of the most encouraging things in the gospel story is that God calls people like you and me, as messy as we all are, <laughs> and we are, um, and he, this tells me there's hope for everybody. God loves to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. Because of Mark's account, and it, and it really is one of the, the most brief gospel stories that we have. Some people read this particular situation where Jesus, was this Jesus' first encounter meeting them? Was it the first time he ever saw them? And they just dropped everything and followed Jesus. Well, um, they kind of imagined from his account that Jesus was a total stranger and he went up to him and he said, come follow me. And they just went, yeah, <laughs> better than fishing. <laughs> you know, no, it was probably not that. But it's, it's probably unlikely. In fact, this wasn't their first encounter with Jesus. Mark tells us that this happened after John the Baptist was arrested. As we just read, he was in prison. Mark tells us that before his arrest, John the Baptist introduced Andrew to Jesus. And Andrew introduced his brother Simon to Jesus. So it's most likely these, were the, these first four would have known him. Um, but the fact that he still personally came to them. He, and that was a rare occasion. That was very rare that a rabbi or a person known would ever come to a person and ask them to be a follower. Will you come follow me? Rather, in the Jewish custom, it was the student or a, 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 a young man to go to a rabbi and say, can I please be your disciple? Can you train me? Can you, can you raise me up? Can, can I be a follower of yours? And it was kind of like, no. <laughs> it was just like, but this was him coming to them. It was unique for them. And so it was just like an honor. <gasps> really? You're asking me? And some people decided, uh, some people, um, I don't know how you said yes to Jesus or if you still in that decision-making process, but did you say yes to Jesus the very first time you heard Jesus' name? Just like, I heard Jesus' name, and I, mean, I, I ran down that aisle, and I got on my knees, and I accepted Jesus. I mean, there's occasion that you see that, and I, I have some evangelist friends and they, uh, they can just say, you need Jesus, and they fall on their knees, and they accept Jesus right there in the subway line. You know, I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you do that? I'm just like, you know, God didn't call me to be an evangelist, a pastor, but I can, I can ask someone 20 times, and they're still not ready yet. And I'm like, okay, it's, it, maybe it's just me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but at the same time, most of us, Ordinarily, most people, especially in our day today, most people don't trust anyone today. And for good reason. And they've seen Christians being hypocrites. And so they're studying them out. They're checking them out, making sure. That, are they the real deal? And so it takes a long time. We're suspicious. Uh, we're cautious and probably should be. But for these disciples, they had probably heard about Jesus. And so when he came to them, they're like, you are the real deal. Yes. And they, they said yes to him. For, and so it was an honor, as I mentioned. But I want to point out, Jesus calls us all to come follow him. We're all called to follow him. Number one is that Jesus calls to follow him. And so he was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. And, and Sea of Galilee is about uh, 13 miles long. And at its widest point is about seven miles 
so in, and about 150 feet deep. Um, and in comparison to Flathead Lake, that's about probably half the size of Flathead Lake, you know, <laughs> that we're used to. But fishing was a major source of income in this, uh, in this region of Galilee. Uh, in these 30 or so surrounding cities that, uh, and communities that surrounded the Sea of Galilee, uh, it said that the historian Josephus, if you've ever read him before, uh, it says that as many as 330 people our fishermen a day, our boats would be out on the lake. So there was a major source of income, uh, and they depended on fishing. Well, Mark tells us as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew. And again, it sounds kind of like this chance encounter, but as I said, Simon and Andrew had most likely met Jesus, they had checked him out, and it's more likely that Jesus was walking along this lake looking for them. He was going to find them. He was coming to look for them. And uh, he sought them out, and he called them to join his team. Jesus took that initiative, and he called them. They, they were not volunteers. And I, want, I just want to talk a little bit about that. They weren't volunteers, but rather they were called. Uh, and there's a difference between volunteering and being called. A volunteer, I'm a volunteer in our community as a firefighter and a, um, as a chaplain, um, and I love volunteers. I love volunteers, and, um, but in a calling, the caller is the one who takes that initiative. He or she calls, and the, the one called then must respond one way or another with a yes or no. And there are a lot of things you can volunteer for, and I hope you do. Um, I never turn down a volunteer, ever, ever turn down a volunteer. And I thank everyone very much, you know, in church, in other places in our community. You are awesome. But it fascinates me that when Jesus started putting his team together, he didn't ask for volunteers. He wasn't, uh, he, but he, rather he called them. He didn't um, Speak to the crowd and say, all right, every one of you that wants to be a volunteer, raise your hand. Everybody, close your, uh, uh, bow your heads and close your eyes while no one's looking. You know, <laughs> Raise your hand so that you can volunteer to follow me. <laughs> and sometimes you know, we've all been in churches saying yes to Jesus, like, oh, please don't see me. You know? But it's like, no, it was like, I'm calling you. I'm calling you by name. Will you come follow me? Will you... Will you Allow me to, to minister to you. Will you allow me in your life? Likewise, Christian doesn't call, God doesn't call volunteers to follow him. He calls us all by name. And he, he takes that initiative and we respond again with a what? Hopefully yes. <laughs> yes, Jesus, anytime, anywhere, anyhow. But do we? I don't know. I said yes to Jesus, but anytime, anywhere, anyhow, I, <laughs> sometimes no. John 15, verse 16, and I love John 15. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. You know, I am the vine, you are the branches. Um, you can, apart from me, you can do nothing. But in there he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. So these first followers of Jesus knew they had been chosen. They didn't volunteer. They were chosen. They were called. They all knew, I am here because Jesus called me and he chose me. And that really solidifies, if anything, during a storm or a trial in your walk with God. If you don't know you're called, you're easily picked off. It's easy to fall away from God when I'm just, well, I just volunteered, you <laughs> know. This is just a fad. I mean, come on. It was the cool thing to do right then. And, and it's not. Because there's times in my calling, I'm like, I don't want to come to church. <laughs> I don't, don't want to do this anymore, Lord. I don't want to. I didn't do that this morning. But, <laughs> but at the same time, it's just like the call of God is always been the glue that's held me. Because if I let the, my flesh determine how I live my life, it will always deceive me. 
I walk in the Spirit and the calling that God is calling me as His, as I am His and He is mine. Do you know that you are chosen by God? Why is that important? Do you think that makes a difference? I do. At the same time, you have a choice. Matthew chapter 22, verse 14 tells us, many are called, but what? Few are chosen. Does that mean that he damned some to hell and some to heaven? No. But in that, that choice, he knows who's going to make that choice to follow him or not. Predestination and, and, and election is a, is a hard subject. I'm not going to try to explain all of that today. But again, I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 7 that says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through that. But narrow or small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find that. I want to be on that narrow road. <sighs> the world has a lot of enticing things. And wide is the road that looks very, you know, the temptation. But narrow is the road to life, and only a few find that. The church is not a volunteer community. It's a called community. And I'm here because Jesus called me. You are here because Jesus called you. And it's so important to understand this. Your calling is more than just volunteering. It's more than a fad. It will keep you grounded in your faith no matter what comes your way. No matter what happens in this country. No matter what happens in our life. I am going to hold on to my faith in Jesus Christ no matter what. If I'm a volunteer, I'm the one taking that initiative. Uh, and I do someone else a favor by offering myself. And if it doesn't work out, I can, what? Unvolunteer. I'm just unvolunteering from this. I can quit, but if I'm called, I'm the one, he is the one that's taken that initiative, and I can't uncall myself. You can't uncall yourself either. I respond to that by giving my all, and if things don't work out as I, I hope to, it doesn't change that fact. How do you see yourself, as a volunteer Christian or as a called Christian? I am not a volunteer follower of Jesus, and I hope that you understand that too. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And next, what did Jesus call them to? Come follow me and what? The meaning uh, of this is that he was calling them to a 24-7 relationship. It meant that he was going to walk with them. They were going to live together 24-7. It was a clearly defined relationship. He was the leader. They were the followers. He was the teacher. They were the, the students. He was the Lord, and they were the servants. And so they were to be with Jesus. They were to learn from him. Do you ever stop learning? I don't think so. I mean, as a follower, I mean, I, there's always something to know. And I always say the best prayer you can pray is, more Lord, more God. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, because I know it all. <laughs> no, it's, you don't know it all. I hope you don't. It's the one that says, have your way in me, Lord. I do not know anything. I need more of you, Lord. He takes that lead. I lead by his example. Jesus is not dead. He is very much alive. And he sent us the Holy Spirit to be our teacher now. He's not physically here. His presence is certainly here. But he sent the Holy Spirit to guide us, to be our counselor, our teacher, the one that would remind us of his truth and his word, uh, to equip us with the gifts of the Spirit, to empower us to be witnesses. Uh, there's always more if you want more. <laughs> always more. So I always say, God, show me more every day. Secondly, Jesus' promise is to make you fishers of man. He, he promises to make them fishers of man who would fish and catch people for God now. And since Jesus was calling fishermen, he used their vernacular. He used their language in this. I'm, you're no longer going to catch those little fish or big fish. <laughs> you're going to catch people now. Um, and so this was this commissioning. 
Jesus was describing their new mission, their new purpose in life. I will make you fishers. Uh, and this is a promise for us that he is calling all of us to be fishers of men, to be salt, to be light. They followed Jesus as they hung out with him. He would transform them into make them something new. I will make you this, blank, blank, blank. Jesus changes us. He makes us new, right? Can you say you're different than you used to be since following Jesus? I sure hope so. Sometimes we don't always see evidence of that. Sometimes other people see evidence of in us. But hopefully there's enough evidence in us that shows them Jesus. We're called to be followers, and his promise is that he makes us new. 2 Corinthians, you're familiar with this passage probably. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18 tells us, Therefore, as anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, and the old is gone, and the new has come, right? All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us then the ministry of reconciliation. He makes us new and then gives us a ministry. Go fishers of men and bring healing in wherever you go. In Christ, we are new creations. We're new creatures, new people, and all this is from God, who, who is the one. He is the one that transforms us. Jesus said, he never said, go clean up your act, you know, Guys, you know, stop talking like you're talking. I mean, I'm sure they had mouths. <laughs> I'm sure they did. They were fishermen, of course. Um, and so this is how so many approach their way to God or think that they need to approach their way to God. I need to clean up my act. And I, I can never, never be good enough to be one of those goody goodies, those goody Christians. And that, that's what keeps people from walking in these doors on Sunday morning, quite honestly. And I hope that we can show that differently to people. It's just like, no. He never says clean up your act and then come to Jesus. Come follow me and I will make you new. I will make that change. Religion is an attempt at, an, at self-improvement. But the gospel is the good news and that's quite honest. Come follow me and I will make you new. What does it mean the moment we accept Christ, we are completely cleaned up in every way? Uh, no, and I think that's the difference in understanding our, the difference between our spirit and our soul. Uh, and, and a lot of times that gets mixed up and confused. Uh, in some respects, yes and no, but the difference is understanding that uh, spirit and soul, and the moment we are born again, the moment we say yes to Jesus, it says we are made born again, we are made new, just different ways of understanding that, uh, made new in our spirit, where we were dead in our spirit. Our spirit was dead. It was, you know, that why do people act the way they act? Why do we see the things in this world? Because they don't have common sense. <laughs> they, they're dead in their spirit. But when the Holy Spirit comes into us and he deposits himself in us, we are made alive. We're born again in this, in our spirit. We're made just as if we had not sinned, justified. We're, we're regenerate. We're made completely new. This is what he's talking about in that 2 Corinthians passage. So rather, why do, we, why do Christians still struggle with things? Because in our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions, where we lived all of our lives before Christ, some people want to describe that as more of our flesh. We don't live there anymore. We don't just live by the desires of our soulish ways, whatever our mind, our will, our emotions want, but we live by the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And it's through his spirit that he transforms us and he changes us and gives us the fruit of his spirit in our lives. But sometimes Christians still have baggage in their soul. And this is a process of what's called sanctification. He is making us new. We are being transformed more into his likeness because our soul will never be completely regenerate. But it's being made new into his likeness. We're becoming like Jesus. Does this make sense? We're becoming like him. And that's kind of our mission statement here at this church. Becoming like Jesus together. That's the process of him and his spirit in us transforming us and making us new. In body, physically, we believe in God working and healing in our bodies. 
uh, in our spirit and in our soul. He's continually doing this process in our life as we walk with him. And this is the gospel. Come, follow me, and I will make you new. My calling is to follow Jesus. His promise is to, to come into my spirit, his spirit in me, and then transforming me more into his likeness. And this is Jesus' promise to them. We have to be careful about taking Jesus' words uh, usually to an individual and applying them to everyone. But in this case, I do think that Jesus makes every believer, every follower a fisher of men. We're all commissioned by God to share the good news with somebody, even if you're not an evangelist like me. It's the great commission. Jesus commissioned all of us to be disciple-makers Not just converts, but disciple makers. And to be a disciple means sometimes you take them along with them. You you invite them into your house, into your life. And a lot of us are like, well, that sounds exhausting. Exactly, it is exhausting. It is exhausting. And sometimes we just sign up like, uh, I, I, I didn't sign up for that. You know, I just got my fire insurance. You know, that's what I was signed up for. If that makes any sense. But, um, but I think Jesus changes us so that our lives become contagious. So that our lives point people to Jesus. Like Sharon, your testimony today, Sharon, I mean, I know that about you. I know that when people see you, they see Jesus in you. And you, you're so full of stories. I mean, you want to hear stories. She... She has incredible stories of God speaking to her and, and using her. And uh, there's power in your testimony. That's, but there's power in all your testimony, too. There's power in the testimony. People are won by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10 says, this, The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When you speak forth your testimony, it's not just mere words. It's not just your experience with Jesus. It is powerful in a testimony, in a prophetic way to open the eyes of the blind. Following Jesus makes you uh, contagious. In other passages, it says that it makes you, wherever you go, the presence of Jesus goes with you. Wherever you go, the kingdom of God goes with you. Wherever you go, the aroma of Jesus goes with you. It's better than essential oils. I don't know if they have uh, doTERRA or Young Living or whatever. I don't know how much it costs. But, but the aroma of Jesus, I'm sure they have that one too. <laughs> it's probably 50 bucks, but... Um. But it says in 2 Corinthians chapter, does anybody else have a wife that loves essential oils? Okay. <laughs> yes. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16 says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in a triumphal procession in Christ through us, spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. I didn't just make this up. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death and to the other the fragrance of life. Wherever you go, you are the aroma of Christ. And some people go, oh, that's terrible. Because why? They love darkness rather than the light. I'm not talking about an annoying perfume. We've all had someone with that annoying perfume, grandma's perfume, you know. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. But when you, it, when you spend time in the presence of God, when you spend time in the presence of Jesus, you begin to talk like him, walk like him, think like him, act like him. You start to smell like him. You have the aroma of Christ and you spread that wherever you go. That's what I'm talking about. If you look at it another way, being like Jesus makes all of us missionaries. Wherever you go, we're all fishers of men. We spread that aroma of Jesus. 
We catch people for God. We are all missionaries sent by Jesus to catch people for God. And you might think that I'm not a preacher. I'm not a missionary. I'm not one of those evangelists. But you are all a missionary. You're all full-time ministers somewhere. Jesus in your world, wherever you're at, you're touching people for Christ. I hope we take that more seriously. To spread that aroma of Jesus. And this is what I've said before. Uh, find, tell, bring. You know, it's easy to remember. Find someone you love. Show them about Jesus through your testimony. And bring, invite them. Invite them with you. Tell them your story. Invite them to Jesus. Pray with them. Show the presence of Jesus and the power of God. Pray over them and, and see if God will heal them. Prophesy over them. Show them the love of God until they ask you why. Why? And then you, when you tell them about Jesus, take them to church. Do whatever it takes. Be the aroma of Christ with them. And lastly, Jesus' followers' response requires what? What does it require? Everything. <laughs> what was their response? They left everything and they followed Jesus. They dropped it. They left their boats and their nets and their families and their crews, it says, to follow Jesus. They left behind you might say in this good paying jobs. They left a good career. How many of us would give up our good career for this? Oh, it was a lucrative business to follow. To, to, they had to leave to follow Jesus. How do we know it was lucrative? Because it says they left Zebedee and the hired men uh, in their boats. The presence of these hired men showed that they had some success with their business. Well enough to hire other people. And so they all left that to follow Jesus. And I believe they did it because that's how they understood. Jesus' call in their life was not a volunteer. It is a sold out, all in for Jesus. Catching people instead of fish. And when Jesus called people, it always required a response. And a response it usually took involved, it usually meant I have to set something aside. I have to leave something to follow Jesus. Um, over six years ago, I read a book, and I did a teaching series out of it by uh, Kyle Eidelman, wrote a book called Not a Fan. Are you a fan of Jesus, or are you a follower of Jesus? Great book. Um, but in his book, he talks about the difference between this fan and follower of Jesus. Jesus calls us to be followers instead of fans. And he defines what that looks like in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if it's on there. Yeah, why don't we say this together? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Yeah. And it begins with anyone, if anyone. If anyone, and it's an all-inclusive call, if anybody, everyone. And it's an all-inclusive call to deny yourself. Take up that cross and follow him. And a cross to the people in that world would have said, wow. Seriously? Did step, get in your electric chair. <laughs> get in your whatever. Really? To kill myself? No, not kill yourself. Kill the sin in your life. Kill that desire. Deny yourself means to refuse consent to something. It means to say no. No is a good word. I usually taught that to my kids. They didn't always follow it, but I, no means no. And O means no. It's a real answer. <laughs> but no, yes, means no. What am I supposed to say no to in this? Myself. I'm saying no to myself, my flesh. And he didn't say, say, take up your cross for the rest of your life. He didn't say that. <laughs> Follow Jesus for the rest of your life. For the rest of 2021. For the rest of my life. I'm going to follow Jesus and, and follow him. That's really easy to say. He said, take up your cross, what? Every day. I don't care about yesterday. I don't even care so much about tomorrow. 
But today I'm taking a stand and I'm going to follow Jesus and we're going to take up this cross. And it means what it means. Yes, Lord, to anything, anytime, anywhere, anyhow. It requires a complete sacrifice and surrender. There's no such thing as a part-time follower of Jesus. When Jesus called his disciples, they had to leave everything to follow him full time. And when people try to negotiate that, being a part-time follower on their own terms, what did Jesus say to them? couple examples, the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. We haven't got to that part yet. But one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, for you have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus called this rich young ruler to leave his wealth, give it away to the poor and follow him, but he couldn't do it. He couldn't leave it behind. To another, he said in Luke chapter 9, come follow me. But the man replied, let me first go bury my father. And then I will come follow him. And he said, no. Let the dead go bury the dead. And you could think, man, Jesus was really rude. I mean, that's just a sad thing. He didn't even let him go to his father's funeral. And it wasn't like that. He wasn't just saying, go to my father's funeral. He's like, wait till my father dies, and then I finally get the inheritance, and then I could finally follow you. When I actually have some money, I can actually go follow you. He's making excuses. Another said, I will follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. That seems a little bit better. But Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow looks back and is fit for service in the kingdom of heaven. Again, you're just like, what? Why would Jesus do that? I've seen it time and time again with people. Sometimes the people that we're closest to, our family even, will keep us from following Jesus. Blessed are you when you leave father, mother, sister, brothers for the kingdom of heaven. And sometimes that's exactly what we need to say, even to those that we love. You know, though no go with me, still I will follow. I won't stand before Jesus with my family. Yes, I pray and every one of them will be there. But I'm standing alone before Jesus who I must give an account. Matthew 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters, either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. No one can serve two masters. Slavery was common in Jesus' day, and everyone knew that a slave could only have one master, not two. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money in this case. And the reason Jesus asked that rich young ruler is because he knew where his heart was. For the love of the money is root of all evil, we read in the Bible, right? And we see so much greed and so much ugliness in our world because of that very thing. He said you can't serve that. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to leave one master behind. It doesn't matter what that other master is. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and sex. You can't serve God and drugs. You can't serve God and alcohol. You can't serve God and success. You can't serve God and yourself. You have to deny yourself to follow him. You have to say no to yourself as that master. Get off that throne. And say yes to Jesus as your master. And, and that's what a bond servant is. A bond servant is one that I volunteered or not. <laughs> I talked about that already. But I am choosing to be a servant for this, my master. I know that he loves me. I know that he takes care of me. He provides for me. And it says when a servant was given that freedom and that choice to be free, it says that they would say, okay, if you want to be in my house, then you, you'll be here the rest of your life. And then they actually took a, uh, an awl and they used to pierce, them with that, pierce their ear to say, this person is a, is a uh, bond servant now. They chose to give up their own rights to the master. And it was an act of complete self-denial. Here's the good news. You're never completely free until, Jesus, uh, until I am a servant of Jesus. When you offer yourself to Jesus as a servant, you become free as a servant then of righteousness. And 
He calls you his child. You become his friend. We're no longer called slaves. We're called his friend, the friend of God. And Jesus never enslaves us. And we offer ourselves to him in his love. And it's only by becoming a servant that we truly become free. Jesus says that nothing is a higher priority than following him. Nothing is a higher priority than the kingdom of God. And if there's something else that is keeping you from following him, deny it. Leave it behind. For these men to follow Jesus, they had to leave their business behind. They could not take their nets and their boats with them. What do you need to leave behind to follow Jesus? Is there something that ever holds you back to complete devotion to Christ? And I assure you, um, don't just do things for God until you know who you are in Christ. Come to Jesus. Deny yourself and come follow him. And he will change you. He will use you to be a a world changer just as they were in the power of the testimony and his word in your life and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, his spiritual gifts released through your life as you then step out in faith. Will you be that follower of Jesus today? And then get up tomorrow morning and say the same thing. And the next day, and the next day. Amen? Father God, we choose today to accept your call And I pray if anyone has never heard your word spoken over them and who they are, may they hear your Holy Spirit even now. You are my son and you are my daughter whom I love, whom I'm well pleased. And I pray, God, that they would hear your voice, the intimacy of your love calling them. Will you come follow me? I have a better plan for you. I have a way for you that I may prepare your way, Lord. You are my way, and I want you to have your way in my life, in all things, Jesus. Holy Spirit, move in my life. I want more. I want more of you and less of me. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. Rule and reign in my life today. Holy Spirit, come even now, Lord, just touching people here today. And if anyone has never said yes to you, I pray in Jesus' name, we would all come to that place and recognize, I am a sinner. I have fallen short of the glory of God. I need you, Jesus. And for those of us that have said yes to you, and are still walking in our own flesh, I pray in Jesus' name, we would choose to say no. We would deny ourselves. We would ask for your cleansing once again. We're not called to live in our soulish ways anymore. We're called to walk in the Spirit. And I ask your Holy Spirit to come, being cleansing, healing where we need healing. If anyone needs healing in body today, I pray healing in your, by your presence today. But wherever we go, today and even the rest of this week or the rest of this month, that we will spread the aroma of Christ wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Amen.